Good morning, everybody. So we are, hey, one person, good morning. Thank you. To everybody else, I hope you have a good morning as well. Uh, no, we're continuing our series on the Psalms. We have thus far looked at, if you've been here, you're getting very familiar with this, or hopefully you are. The Psalms help me know God's infinite love. There are categories of Psalms that are hymns, songs of praise for the Lord. There are categories of Psalms that are messianic, prophetically pointing to Jesus. There are groups of Psalms that are called knowledge Psalms. This is biblical wisdom. This is how you grow in it, and you should be doing that. Last week, we looked at Psalms of gratitude how this is an essential, holy, humble mindset. This needs to be a foundational component of our lives and our perspective in this world. And then today we come to the I, help me know God's infinite I. There are Psalms that are imprecatory. This has been the category that the most people have come to me and said, what does that mean? We're getting to it. And now we're finally here. So before we dive in, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how good you are to us. We thank you uh, for the, the honor it is to praise you in song, in giving, in submitting to scripture. As your word says, we offer you our lives as living sacrifices. This is worship. And so in this time, God, lead us in offering our lives to you. May we set aside the distractions. May we set aside whatever was on our mind as we drove here this morning that threatens to pull attention away from you. We place them aside and we turn to you on your throne. We lift our eyes to seek you and your things. May these not be my words. May I have nothing to do with this message this morning, Lord. May it be from you. May it be by you, through you, and for you and you alone. We as your people, we bow, and we ask that you would teach us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so what are imprecatory psalms? Let's finally answer that question. Imprecatory psalms are psalms that invoke judgment or calamity on people, specifically, frequently, God's enemies. People who are enemies of God, an imprecation, an imprecatory psalm, is invoking judgment or calamity on that person. Let's be very, very clear on these psalms, because this is the category that can get abused, I think, the most easily. This is not, I just don't like that person. Let me call down wrath and calamity on them. This is not, oh, I hope you guys wore your steel-toed boots. We're stepping on toes today. This is not, I disagree with their political platform. Let me call down wrath and calamity on them. This is not, I don't care for their social persuasion. I don't care for their cultural point of view. I don't care for this bit about their demographic. Let me call down judgment upon them. Imprecatory Psalms must be, they always are, they're provoked by the horrors of sin. They're provoked by a heart that is so sensitive to the heart of the Lord that is so in tune with God's will and God's heart that they are just wrecked by the horrors and the evil of sin. 
That is what leads to imprecations. Not personal opinion, not relationships, not preferential just opinions, but I am provoked by the horror of sin. And in that horror, the only thing that makes sense to me is call out for God's justice. That's what an imprecatory psalm is. I mean, consider... Consider 1 Peter 2.23 when I said this is not about personal insult. Oh, that person insulted me? That person mistreated me? Maybe you have. Maybe you've been legitimately mistreated by someone. That is not what leads to an imprecatory psalm. 1 Peter 2.23, when Jesus was reviled, blasphemed, scorned, mocked, abused, I mean physically abused, verbally abused. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, imprecatory psalms are not about placing ourselves in the judge's seat. Imprecatory psalms are not about saying, I'm the judge, I'm the one who gets to pass the final verdict. An imprecatory psalm is recognizing God's authority as judge and calling out for that to not be tarnished. So look for a desire. If you're wondering, how do I recognize these things? Well, you know, look for a calling down of calamity and, and judgment on people, but ultimately look for a desire for justice. Look for a desire that is foundational of God to be glorified. That's what you see in the imprecatory psalms. A heart that says, Lord, I don't want your name to be tarnished. I don't want your name to be slandered. I don't want your glory to be abused or threatened. I want you to be magnified. I want you to be exalted. That is non-negotiable in a proper imprecatory psalm. Or rather, I mean, all the psalms are proper in precatory psalms. That is non-negotiable in a heart that is properly in line with these psalms. Examples, you have Psalm 5, Psalm 10, 17, 35, 58, 59, 69, 70, 79, 83, 109, 129, 137, and 140. Why did I list all of them up there? To show two things. Anybody know how many psalms there are? 150. Somebody said 150. There's about 14 clearly identifiable imprecatory psalms. So the first thing that we notice is this is not the majority of the psalms. This is not the overwhelming majority of how the psalm writers spent their time. So in our lives, imprecations should not be the majority of our time in prayer. They should not be the majority. I mean, if you're thinking about your thought life, right? Okay, how do you think about the sinful fallen world around you? If it is overwhelmingly angry and fired up, no, that's out of balance. 14 out of 150. Pay attention to that ratio. But I also wanted to include 14, all 14. And there are some other ones that you could say, well, that part isn't precatory. That part isn't precatory. But I wanted to include all of them to show that it's also not a one-time thing. It's not a, well, this was just one rare extreme occurrence and then it never again popped up. No, this, this pops up. I mean, you're looking at about 10% that this is a part of the Psalms. And so we also can't neglect them and pretend like we shouldn't be aware of them or understand how to use them. But like with all things, it's that proper perspective. So let's look at imprecatory Psalms with a proper perspective. 
one, uh, I'm going to call it a false teaching, I believe it's a false teaching, one false teaching that you'll hear related to these idea of imprecatory psalms is, well, they're not relevant for us today because that's just the angry Old Testament. I mean, there, you know, we, can sh- we can shake our head, but there are churches and teachers and pastors and leaders who teach that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two radically different people. And so, no, imprecatory psalms, that's just the angry Old Testament. That doesn't have a place like Jesus came and then it switched from angry, wrathful God to gentle, peaceful God. And so imprecatory, imprecations, that's just Old Testament stuff. No, we don't get to dice up scripture. I mean, Psalm 139, I'm going to bet that you guys know, or at least many of you know parts of Psalm 139. Listen to these beautiful, wonderful words. I, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Isn't that that a wonderful, reassuring, encouraging passage? Like, I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, like, that's a wonderful passage. That's a beautiful part of this psalm. Okay, where does he go from there? He goes to this beautiful idea of being known by a creator, intimately, personally known by a creator, treasured by a creator. It can only go up from there, right? What's the very next verse? Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We can't say, oh, I like, I like Psalm 139 up till verse 17. And then I'm going to cut out those five verses that make me kind of uncomfortable and then pick it back up in the very last verse. So first and foremost, you can't dice up scripture and pick it. It's not a buffet. You don't get to eat around things on the plate. But let's look. Is it really just the Old Testament? Let's start with Jesus. Jesus, read Matthew 23. Read the whole chapter of Matthew 23 and listen to the imprecatory language that Jesus uses. Or at least listen to these few verses. Jesus speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus had no problem calling for righteous blood to be avenged on the wrong on the wrongdoers. Matthew 26, 34, or 24, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. 
Luke 10, 10 to 16, we won't read it. Another passage where Jesus calls out imprecations on false teachers. Romans 11, 9 to 10, directly quotes Psalm 109, which is an imprecatory psalm. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Galatians 1, 8 to 9, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 2 Timothy 4.14 Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. It's not emotional spite. It's not pettiness. It's a factual, truthful awareness of God's standards. Revelation 6, 9-10, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Imprecations are not just for the Old Testament. Jesus used this language. Paul used this language. The martyrs for the kingdom of God use this language. So the first thing in understanding a proper perspective on imprecatory psalms is this isn't something that we can just discard and toss to the side. Swinging too far the other way, this isn't an excuse to be all wrathful and angry at people 24-7 because none of these negate God's love. And none of these negate God's call on our lives to love others in the same way that he loves. Jesus who says, woe, woe to you, you serpents, you vipers. Will you, will you, you think you'll escape hell for this? That same Jesus also says this in Matthew 5, to 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. These are some of the hardest verses, I think, in Scripture. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus, Jesus says, what, you love the people who love you back? You do good to your friends and the people who do good? Like, the sinners do that. Unbelievers do that. I mean, church in 2023, we want to pat ourselves on the back because we're nice to other Christians who are nice to us? Like, I'm not belittling love amongst Christians, but we think that's the point of this? Well, we'll just be nice to the people who are nice to us? Jesus says, the unbelieving world does that. That's not what I've called you to. I've called you to love everyone. I've called you to pray for those who persecute you. Pray blessings for them. Show mercy to them. Show grace to them. Love them like I love them. Love them like I love you. Consider Luke 23, 34. And Jesus said, 
Anybody know where Luke is? Or where Luke is? Anybody know where Jesus is in, in chapter 23? Yeah, Luke's back there. Anybody know where, where Jesus is in Luke 23? He's on the cross. What does he say while on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Jesus, in the midst of suffering the worst betrayal and persecution than any of us could ever imagine, says, no, Lord, forgive them. Romans 12, 17 to 21 Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So a proper perspective on imprecations a proper perspective on invoking judgment and calamity is one that does not negate love. One that never loses sight of love, of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace, of compassion, of recognizing that this is someone who God created in his image with the potential of redemption through Christ. That's a proper perspective on imprecatory psalms. So now I'm confused, Sam. Because first, you presented that, man, imprecations are their Old Testament, their New Testament. Jesus used them. The church fathers used them. David used them. He's called a man after God's own heart. Shouldn't we be all about imprecate? Wait, now you're saying, no, 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 we should be all about mercy and grace and forget. I'm confused, man. What is the place of imprecatory psalms in our lives today? Well, as we talked about, there's two extremes we can swing to. Don't raise your hands. Please don't raise your hands. Anybody sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm a pretty peaceful person. Turn the other cheek, that's not a problem for me. I'm a gentle, loving person. I, I really don't see imprecatory psalms being part of my life. I, I just don't see this. Like, that's not where my mind goes. That's not where my attitude goes. I just, I don't know. I don't see this being part of my life. Really? The horrors of sin don't affect you? Sex trafficking? You're just like, yeah, whatever. Doesn't bother me. Child slavery? Doesn't bother you? Abortion? The millions of lives lost? The horrors of sin just, just don't phase you? Ecclesiastes says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. Maybe you're on the other side and you're like, man, about time pastor started preaching about judgment. Bring on that fire and brimstone. I've been waiting for a fire it up sermon. 
I've been waiting for this. Yeah, the church needs to get back on that judge's seat. Okay, I'll pump the brakes. Deuteronomy 27 and 28. You know what happens in Deuteronomy 27 and 28? The priests before the whole assembly of God's people spend a good chunk of time listing out and calling for all the imprecations, all the judgment, all the calamity that should come on God's people if they neglect his covenant. The priests lay out, look, part of being a holy people, part of being God's people, part of entering into this covenant is that we have a part to uphold. We have a part to play in this. We have a responsibility to live in a certain way. And if we neglect this, Lord, if we neglect this covenant, we call on you to judge us. We call on you to send calamity on us, your people. The priests lay this out. And you know what happens in Deuteronomy? All of God's people agree. And they say, yeah, we accept this. So before we get too angry, before we get too fired up, before we get too excited to go start calling down some judgment and calamity on people, are we willing to call it down on ourselves first? Are we willing to look at the church first? Are we willing to look inwardly first and say, okay, am I in line with God's covenant? Lord, if I'm not in line with your covenant, I invoke judgment on myself. Are we willing to do that when it comes to imprecatory psalms? To begin in our own house. To begin in our own lives. So should we use them today? Yes, absolutely. We should use them properly. We should use them biblically. We should use them in a holy manner, sanctified, against our enemy. What did we look at when we went through that series on First and Second Peter? Your adversary, your enemy, the who? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're not calling down calamity on a person because we don't like them. We're calling for God's justice and righteousness to prevail over evil. We're calling for God's righteousness and justice to prevail over sin, over the devil, over demons, over the spiritual forces of darkness. What does the Bible say about lost people? They've been blinded by the prince of darkness. Do you remember I, I talked about that if there were a blind person trying to navigate the stage, I'm confident that you would run to help them. I'm confident that no one in this room would look at a blind person tripping on the cords and being like, serves them right. Shouldn't have been born blind. That's on you. No, we'd see a blind person stumbling about and we'd be like, I got to do something about that. That's the sinful world around us. Those are the lost people around us. Blind people who need redemption the exact same way that you and I needed redemption and still need grace every day. This is how we properly, appropriately use imprecatory psalms in our lives today. So let's look at a, a beautiful example, a key example of an imprecatory psalm. If you will, turn to Psalm 83. 
Uh, we're going to be in this one. We're going to dissect it a little bit. We're going to look at, you know, what it means, what it's saying, how it takes everything that we've just talked about, and it ties it together. So as we read through Psalm 83, listen for what he's really upset by. Listen for what his heart is burdened by, what his heart is grieved by, and then listen for what his heart's desire is in this. Here's a hint. It's not personal vengeance. It's not personal emotional recompense. But listen to Psalm 83. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Ashur also has joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zabah and Zalmunna, who said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. O oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O oh Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. See, Psalm 83, the pain is that God's glory is being slandered. The pain is that God's name is being blasphemed. The pain is that they said, let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. The pain is that something is trying to be stolen from the Lord. So the desire is that God's name would be glorified. The desire is that God would be recognized as Lord Most High. The desire is that God would be exalted. That those seeking to blaspheme Him, those seeking to wrong Him, those living in sin, living in error would turn to the Lord. I mean, did you catch at the very end what's he say? He says, fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever that they may know that you alone are God most high. The desire is not just wipe them out, give them their due, cool, be done with them. Though the desire is, Lord, let them turn, let them repent. Let them praise you. I already stepped on toes a little bit. Let's go back to that. Think about the people you disagree with. Think about the politician you don't like. Think about the celebrity you can't stand. Think about the famous people who you don't care for one way, shape, or form. What's your prayer regarding them? What's your heart regarding them? Is your desire that you would see them in heaven? 
When you think of that person, you can't stand. Maybe it's even more personal. Maybe it's close to home. Forget these strangers who we don't really know. Let's go to the people in our lives. Let's go to our boss. Let's go to our coworker. Let's go to our neighbor. Let's go to our relative. The people who have caused us nothing but pain. What's your desire for them? If it's not, man, I hope they're in heaven. I can't, ah, oh, Lord, please, please grant them repentance. Please bring them to a place of repentance. I want to worship with them in heaven. If that's not your heart, your heart's in the wrong place. It just is. The hardest thing that God had to teach me was the brother who abused my, or the man who abused my brother, who betrayed our family, the family friend, who inflicted so much pain. And for years, my heart was in the wrong place when it came to him. Lord, inflict pain on him just so he feels pain. I mean, I, I am ashamed to say, I'm grateful that God brought me through it, but I am ashamed to say there were times where I fervently hoped that he was just getting beaten every day in prison. That he was just suffering like no one else suffered. And God had to bring me to my knees and say, Sam, do you really think that's my heart for this man? And my prayer changed to, Lord, may I see him in heaven? It took time. I had to, I had to confess. I had to go before the Lord. He had to break me. But I can truthfully say that I don't know if he's alive. I don't know where he is right now. All I know is I hope that I see him in heaven. I really do. Because what would that do? That would point to the glory of God. That would point to the beauty of forgiveness. That would point to redemption and grace undeserved. And guess what, friends? I'm benefiting from that undeserved grace every day. Who am I to want withheld from someone else? Does that reflect the heart of Christ? No. So in precatory psalms, yeah, they've got a place in our lives. The kids left. Every time I pass a porn shop, I pray for absolute financial bankruptcy. I pray for insurance fraud. I pray for complete ruin for that business. I don't want them to collect insurance money and rebuild. No, I pray for devastation of that job. And I realize that in doing so, I'm praying for the loss of someone's income. I'm okay with it. But my prayer is, Lord, convict them. Bring them to repentance. Take everything away from them. Let them lose everything they've built their security in and let it bring them to you. That's Psalm 83. That's imprecation. That's a biblically appropriate approach of, Lord, don't let your glory be stolen. Don't let your name be blasphemed. Break these people, but break them in such a way that it leads them to repentance. This is our heart. Because, again, what was he upset about? He wasn't upset about personal insult. Well, you don't know that. We don't know that. Well, what do we know about David? The man who wrote many of those imprecatory psalms, I can't say all of them because I didn't do the math, I admit. I know he wrote most of them. What do we know about David? What happens when David was personally insulted and attacked and wronged? 1 Samuel 24, 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave. Why was David in the cave? Saul was trying to kill him. 
So he has someone literally chasing him for his life, trying to kill him. David comes out of the cave and he called after Saul, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. The man who is persecuting David like no one else, David pays the utmost respect to and humbles himself by bowing and paying him honor. 2 Samuel 16, 5-10. David is now the king himself. When King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And as Shimei said, as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Do you know how wrong Shimei is in this moment? He says, you stole the throne. No, God called David to the throne. You robbed, no. I mean, like every statement that Shemi makes about David is just wrong. So he's lying about him. He's tarnishing his, his reputation. He's doing it publicly. He's doing it in front of everyone else. He's ridiculing them and lying about him to his friends, to the people following him, to his loved ones. He is physically throwing stones. I mean, in every action, Shimei is about as far from accurate as possible. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. David has the means of doing something about this problem. David has the means of solving this problem right now. You want to lie about me? You want to misrepresent the facts? You want to tarnish my name and image publicly? You want to spread this? You want to physically come after me? Go kill him. Problem done. David's the king. He doesn't even have to suggest it. One of his guys is like, hey, are we going to do something about this? How's David respond? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, but the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? David's response is, wait, you think you're judge? No. He wants to curse me? He wants to do all this? Okay, let him. What if God told him to? We don't know that. What if the point of this is something that God is working out that we don't know? No, don't step in. Don't intervene. David's fine when Saul's trying to kill him. My Lord, my King, I pay you homage. I will not steal your life. I will not rob you of your honor or respect. I'm good. David's fine when Shimei is lying about him and physically coming after him. David's like, I'm good. That's okay. Let him be. God's the judge. David will not stand for it when God's glory is attacked. David will not tolerate it when people go after the Lord. That's when he pens the imprecatory psalms.
So ask yourself, why are you angry or grieved? Before you get all ready to call down these imprecations, before you get all ready to invoke judgment and calamity on someone, why are you bothered? Are you bothered because you've been insulted? Or are you bothered because the Lord's been insulted? Are you bothered because you've been wronged or because God's glory has been wronged? Ask yourself, who's being cursed? Who's being attacked? Who's being blind? Why am I bothered? Why am I angry? Why am I upset? And then ask, what is my desired outcome? Go back to Psalm 83. Go back to Scripture. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God. I mean, listen to God's words here. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his ways and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? That's the Old Testament God. I don't want wicked people to die. I want them to turn back and live. This is my heart, says the Lord. 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Earlier I said, think about that person you don't like. Think about that person that you're tempted to call down imprecations on. Think about that person you're tempted to invoke judgment and calamity against. And I said that if your heart is not for their repentance, it's in the wrong place. I said that because God's heart is for their repentance. And my heart must be in line with God's heart. God's heart is that they would reach repentance. God's heart is that they would not perish. So my heart, it better be in line with that. There's a place for imprecations. They're a part of Scripture for a reason. Shame on us if we pretend like they're not there. Shame on us if we gloss over it. But also shame on us if we lightly use them to just scratch that personal emotional itch for vengeance. Shame on us if we try and place ourselves in the judge's seat. Shame on us if we lose sight of grace and mercy, if we lose sight of love. See, we have to understand them, but we have to use them appropriately. So this week, as we consider this, as we consider this idea of imprecatory psalms, now I know normally we try and structure the readings in biblical order. So as you're working through the Bible, you get to the book in order. This week, read it out of order. I know 2 Thessalonians comes after Romans. Read 2 Thessalonians 1, and then read Romans 9 and 10. Apply the Acts model as we pray, as we consider the message, as we consider these passages. And then ask ourselves two questions. Thinking of Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 8. There's a time for everything. There's a time for peace, and there's a time for war. There's a time to love, and there's a time to hate. Am I too focused? Do some self-reflection. Am I too focused on a time for war, and I don't desire peace? Am I too focused on a time for hate, 
and I don't pursue love? Or on the flip side, am I too focused on a time for peace and I'm unwilling? I'm not ready to go to war. Am I too focused on just being soft and gentle and I forget that I'm supposed to fight? Have I neglected either of those times laid out in Ecclesiastes? Am I unable to use the weapons I've been given by the Lord because I, I don't know them and I don't want to use them? I believe an imprecatory psalm is a very powerful prayer. I believe we should be using it. I believe we should be using it biblically. I believe we should be using it appropriately. Desiring the right things. Desiring the heart of the Lord. Let's be a church that is ready for a time of peace and ready for a time of war. Let's be a church that desires grace and mercy and repentance and does everything we can to pursue it, but is not afraid to fight with how we've been gifted to fight. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for everything you've done for us. God, may we never lose sight that we are the ones who nailed you to a cross. We are the ones who spit on you, who slapped you, who mocked you. We are the worst of sinners in need of grace. May we never lose sight of that. May we never lose sight of the beauty of, of repentance and redemption. May we be grateful every day for how you have saved us, how you have raised us from the dead. And may we never stop wanting that for the broken, sinful, fallen world around us. May we desire that all should reach repentance, that all should come to your throne. And Lord, knowing that there are powers of evil, knowing that there are powers of darkness, knowing that there are very real enemies seeking to destroy, seeking to kill, God, may we fight against them with every ounce of strength that we have. May we seek their destruction. May we yearn for their calamity. So God, as we wrap up, we do, we call for affliction on evil in this world. For the businesses that ruin lives. For the different industries that just tear people apart and physically kill, mentally kill, kill marriages. Lord, ruin them. God, burn, burn them to the ground scatter their ashes destroy evil Lord thank you for being the judge thank you that we do not have to bear that weight so we trust you we trust you with your timing we trust you with your plan we know that your will cannot be stopped, and we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.